Thanks for listening to the Oasis City Church podcast. We're located in Boise, Idaho, but wherever you're listening from, we hope this message encourages you and empowers you to take a step towards living a life fully devoted to following Jesus. Come on, you excited to be in church? Let's go. Loved worship this morning. It was awesome. Uh, you know, when we first moved to Boise uh, just a few years ago, uh, one of the first things we wanted to do as we came to get ready to plant this church was really before we even started the church planning process, we just wanted to get connected to the community. So what did we do? We started frequenting the same coffee shops. We started going to the same restaurants and trying to, you know, have the same waitress or waiter and, and just begin to build relationships, make friendships. One of the other ways that we tried to get ingrained in the community was my wife and I decided that we were going to coach our kids' peewee soccer teams. Um, just a little context. I never really played soccer since I was a peewee, okay? Like, I was like five when last time I played soccer. Uh, do you know how much I know about soccer? Zero. Um, the only thing I know about soccer is that, you know, these little kids, they, they kick the ball, they wear the shoes. You know, it's like a, it's like a little, that's all I know. Like, I don't, I don't know the rules. I don't know anything about offsides. I never understood that. I'm like, if you can get the ball faster down there, why, don't, why can't you get down there faster? That doesn't make sense to me. And so... Anyways, I start coaching soccer, and and you might be like, well, what qualifies you to to do that? It's like, hey, listen, I watched season one of Ted Lasso, and I've seen Welcome to Wrexham. Okay, I think I'm plenty qualified to coach soccer. And so I jump in, and and seriously, though, we did okay. Like, I was able to to encourage these little blobs, this little amoeba that moves down and up in the field. I was able to encourage them to learn team, like, team dynamics and be kind to each other and like not to like lay in the goal and do like you know grass angels right like I was able to get them to where they actually could like kind of pass the ball a little bit and while I'm confident you know like man we did okay in peewee how many you know if I walked up to the LA galaxy with that same resume in hand of Wrexham and Lasso uh, they're gonna laugh me out of the place if I tried to coach right if I walked up to to the LA galaxy said hey I'm ready to coach they'd be like are you kidding me I've never taken the time to learn the game. I I don't know anything. I've never worked on the finesse of passing and shooting and agility. I've never understood what it's like to put in the hustle, to to build a a, a life that just is devoted to the game. And so how could I ever coach something? How could I lead them to a place that I had never been? But the problem is I think we actually do this in the church all the time. And we act like, man, you know, this year I'm going to make disciples. I'm going to lead people and I'm going to help people come to know. I'm going to make disciples this year, pastor. I'm going to do it. The problem is, is that in order to make disciples, you first have to be a disciple. And for so many of us, we act like, man, I know what I'm doing. I'm going to go out and I'm going to, I'm going to change the world. I'm going to fulfill the great commission, Matthew 28. I'm going to go into all the world and make disciples. But if you're not a disciple, you can't make disciples because you reproduce who you are. And if your life isn't submitted and surrendered, if you're not living life as a student, a learner, that's what a disciple is, a student of Jesus, if you're not walking with him daily, how can you lead someone into that same place if you've never been there? And so I'd ask you the question, are you living as a faithful disciple yourself. And so as we get ready to close out this series, we've called No Token Vows. The series has been, been about all these, uh, these promises that we make and how we make these promises, we make these vows, and then we don't really intend to keep them. We do it to, to look good, to say something, uh, you know, kind of catchy and pithy. And so we say, I'm going to make disciples this year. But do you actually do it? 
Unfortunately, I hear people say that a lot. But if that was true, this place would be so overflown with people that are so committed to Jesus. Man, there, we would, we would, every church in this valley would be overflowing if we truly every year said, I'm going to make disciples and we follow through with it. But I think sometimes for us it becomes a token vow. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to make disciples. Yeah, 100%, I'm, I'm going to make disciples. And so today that's what we're talking about, the token vow of this year. I'm going to make disciples. And remember, you first have to be a disciple to make disciples. And so really this message specifically today is going to be about what are the hindrances to us being disciples and what is stopping us then from making disciples. Luke chapter 9, go there with me if you have your Bibles. Luke chapter 9, verse 57 through 62. We're going to go there together. I'm reading out of the NLT today. Luke 9, 57 through 62. Y'all got it? Say yeah. yeah. Still waiting? Say wait. All right. Thank you, sir. hundred <laughs> percent. All right, verse 57. I got it on the screens for you as well. It says this. As they were walking along, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. Y'all heard that before? Verse 58. But Jesus replied, foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to even lay his head. He said to another person, hey, come follow me. This man agreed, but he said, Lord, first let me return home and bury my father. But Jesus told him, hey, let the dead bury their own dead. Your duty is to go and preach about the kingdom of God. And another said, yes, Lord, I'll follow you, but first let me say goodbye to my family. But Jesus said, anyone who puts a hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Pray with me this morning. Jesus, thank you for your word. Father, would you allow it to change us, mold us, shape us from the inside out? Lord, as we exit a, a moment of musical worship, may, may our posture of our hearts stay in a place of worship, stay in a place of admiration, stay in a place, God, of looking to you, saying, God, do whatever you want to do. Speak how you want to speak. Father, whatever's of me and my own words, let it fall away. Whatever's born of your spirit, God, let it change hearts and lives today. In your name I pray. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. So we're gonna break down this passage today kind of section by section. There's three conversations here. We're gonna go through each one and we're gonna examine these three different conversations, these three different moments that Jesus has with these individuals. And we're really just gonna look at what are the hindrances to these men coming to follow Jesus? What are the things that they said were like the reason why they were not gonna go right away? Because we don't really know who these guys are, but what we do know is that they were followers of Jesus, right? And in the, or, or could be followers of Jesus and in this passage, Really, what, we, what we're going to see is these three hindrances that I think we all will face in life when it comes to making a decision for you and I on whether or not we're really going to follow Jesus, whether or not we're really going to be a disciple. So we're going to look at this first encounter, starting in verse 57, one more time. As they were walking along, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. But Jesus replied, foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to even lay his head. And so here we see someone who is dedicated and, and willing and, and devoted to do whatever it takes. Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. I'm gonna go with you. I'm gonna follow you. But Jesus' reply to that person who's like, yeah, I'm gonna do anything you want is less than exciting. Like you'd think Jesus would be like, yes, like let's go. No, he, he says this. He says, hey, even animals have homes and places to sleep, yet I do not. 
He said, hey, this is what it looks like to follow me. If, you, if you're really going to go all in, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. This is what it looks like. I, I don't even have a place to lay my head. The first encounter represents the hindrance of comfort. The hindrance of comfort. Because, you know, many of us come to church on Sunday mornings and we sing these awesome songs. And we have these moments of worship and we're like, yeah, great are you, Lord. I will build my life upon your love. And yeah, Lord, you can have it all. And we say these things and we sing these things, but I, I'm like, do we really believe those things? Like, are, are we just singing it because it's like a thing to do and it's a, a nice song and a good tune and a, and a great melody and a good lead line? Like, like are, we, are we saying these things and singing these things because we believe them or because it's a churchy thing to do? Like, do you really believe he can have it all? Like, like, like what does that really look like in our lives to say, Jesus, you can have everything because when life gets tough, when life gets hard, can he really have it all? Can he really have all of you, your whole heart? Can he really have everything? Can he have access to every part of your life, every, every decision-making process? Can he really have it all? Or do you only choose to pursue him and follow him when it suits you, when it's comfortable, when you have a sense of security? Or can he really have it all? When the storms come in life, do you choose to follow him, pursue him? Or do you choose the comfort of the world? Let me ask you this. If he asked you to go into missions, and to go out and for the sake of spreading the gospel, be a missionary, would you do it? Yeah, I mean, I could do that. Well, what if it's a third world country where you don't have a place to lay your head? Would you still go if he asked you? Would you still say yes if you were asked to do something that makes you uncomfortable, if their language is different, if the place is different, if the culture is different, if it doesn't suit your American ideal, American dream that you have conjured up in your head of what your life is going to look like, if God derails that plan and says, we're not doing that, this is what we're doing, are you still going to follow him? Or because it makes you uncomfortable, will you step back and say, I I don't know about that? You see here in this moment, Jesus rips away the romanticism of what it looks like to follow him. This disciple is like, yeah, I'll follow you wherever you go. Jesus just tears the romanticism of that moment away and says, really, because I don't even have a place to lay my head. He he didn't say, oh, that's wonderful, disciple. Oh, you're good. No. He gives them like, hey, this is the real deal. He's trying to help this follower of Jesus, this potential follower of Jesus, understand that, hey, this is the most amazing life you could choose to follow me. That's a great decision. That would be the best decision that you could ever make is to give your life towards following Jesus. But just because it's an amazing and a fulfilling life does not make it an easy one. It does not make it a piece of cake. It doesn't make it this life that's like, oh man, everything's just going to fall together. I'm never going to have a rough patch. I'm never going to have a hard time. No, Jesus actually tells us we're going to encounter storms. We're going to encounter persecution. We're going to encounter hard times because we are professing the name of Jesus. Life just doesn't just get easy. Life actually gets really, really hard. There's a lot of things about following Jesus that are not easy. And those who value security and comfort over him will not at the end hear, well done, good and faithful servant. More likely, what they will hear is, depart from me, for I never knew you. And we have to see that comfort is a hindrance to 
Uh, back in the, the 1700s, there was a revival in England. And if you don't know what a revival is, basically it's a large population of people that come to know Jesus and it's a resurgence of faith. And so back in the 1700s, there was a revival uh, partly led by a, a man named John Wesley. And in his services, they would bring out this long bench that they would put up at the front of the church, this, this long bench, and they called it the mourner's bench. And this bench is where people would come to pray and to process what it actually meant and what it actually would cost them if they were to give their lives to Jesus. Because it doesn't do anything. John Wesley knew in this time, instead of just having people pray a quick prayer and say, man, well, I'm a follower of Jesus. Now, he knew that the hard-hearted people of England, that's not gonna help them. He wanted them to understand the true cost of giving your life fully to Jesus. And so he had them come to this, this mourner's bench and they would get on their knees. And they began to just pray and, and just think about and sit in the reality of everything it would cost them to follow Jesus, because it would cost them everything, their whole lives. They're saying, like, you don't just get to give Jesus your, your Sundays. You don't get to give Jesus Wednesday night at Bible study. You don't just to give Jesus small group. You give him every part of your life. Everything is submitted. Everything is surrendered. Your life is no longer your own. But as you lay down your life, he gives you his. And that's the great exchange that makes everything worth it. But these people would, would sit and process the great cost of giving their lives. And instead of praying that quick prayer, they would sit and think about the cost of discipleship, the cost of following Jesus. Because becoming a true disciple of Jesus is so much more than a decision in a moment. It's a decision in moments every single day for the rest of your life saying, I will follow you, God, no matter what you say, no matter what you ask me to give up, no matter where you ask me to go or who you ask me to serve or how you ask me to serve or what you say I can't have anymore or I need to have. And no matter what you change in my life, what you take away and what you give, nothing changes that you are the one I will obey. You are the one I will seek. You are the one that I will pursue with my entire life. And so true salvation comes when you have repented of your sins and asked him not just to be savior, but Lord of your life. Because for a lot of us, Jesus, we know him as savior, but do you know him as Lord? Is he Lord of your life? Does, is he the final direction and decision maker in your life or is it still you? Are you still holding the keys and say, yeah, I got Jesus in the passenger seat. He never asked to sit in the passenger seat. You gotta give him the keys. This is a ride that you're going on. But we so often think that, man, I can just, Jesus can be my tag along. He can be my like little side buddy. Like we're just hanging out. Like, yeah, come on, Jesus, come with me. And Jesus is saying, no, come follow me. Jesus doesn't follow us. We follow Jesus. But I think we've gotten that backwards. Our job is to follow him follow him daily, to read his word, to live by his ways, to forgive others, seeking nothing in return, surrendering and giving it all over to him. And say these people who, who felt the tugging on their hearts by the Holy Spirit, they would come to that bench and they would just sit and they'd process, they'd repent, they'd ask for forgiveness of their sins, knowing that if they made this decision, their life would never again be the same. The life would never again be their own. From that point forward, they were committing to do whatever God Asked. They were walking away from the known to the unknown, from the comfortable to the un.
comfortable. But hasn't that always been the call of the disciple, friends? Like, hasn't that been the call? Like, let's just look at the, think about the early disciples, the very first disciples Jesus called. Let's go there. Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 through 22. It says, one day as Jesus was walking along the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. And Jesus called out to them, come and follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once. And followed him. A little further up the shore, he saw two brothers, James and John, sitting in their boat with their father Zebedee, repairing their nets. And he called to them too. They immediately followed him, leaving their boat and their father behind. Luke chapter 5, 27 through 28, we see another disciple, Matthew. Later, as Jesus left the town, he saw a tax collector named Levi, or Matthew, sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. I want you to stop and think about what's happening in these two stories and just think about the early disciples. What Jesus was asking of them was everything. Like, like this is, like you would think, oh yeah, they're just, like, they're hanging out, they're fishing. Jesus said, hey, come follow me. They came and followed him. No, no, no. When Jesus said, hey, come and follow me and I'm gonna teach you how to fish for men. I'm gonna teach you how to fish for people. Jesus said, hey, come, come leave what you're doing. You know what he was saying? He's saying, hey, leave everything you know behind. Your identity as a fisherman, your job, your security, your financial, everything, your fam, all of it, leave it behind. Your father, the boat, the fish, leave it all. And come and follow me. Everything you've been building in your own strength, everything you've been doing out of your own will, I want you to leave it all behind and I want you to come and follow me. Leave your father, leave your mother, leave everything that's comfortable and familiar to follow me. Friends, that is a wild ask of somebody. Come and follow me. But watch this. He, he asked the question and he follows it up with vision. He says, hey, hey, you should come and follow me. But then he follows up with this vision. Come and follow me and I will show you how to fish for people. And it, watch this. It says, immediately they dropped their nets to follow him. No, no. Immediately they dropped their nets to follow him. That is a massive statement. Something about this more that Jesus talked about, this, this, this elevation of what they already knew, this, this idea of more, fishing for fish, fishing for people, something about that more resonated on the inside of them and they immediately at once dropped their nets. What does that mean? It means they immediately upon the call dropped everything that would have held them back from following Jesus. Every hindrance, every security, every comfort, everything, they dropped it to follow Jesus. They dropped the things that represented security, money, comfort, familiarity, their old way of life. They left it all to follow Jesus. And so he took this concept that they understood, this concept of fishing, and he just elevated it. He just took something they knew and were familiar with and said, no, no, wait till you see what I'm gonna do. This is what you do now, this is what you know. This is what I'm gonna do with you. You, you can't even imagine the things that I'm gonna do with you. This is the vision of what your life could look like if you follow me. You know, I, I travel quite a bit on airplanes and, and have for the last number of years. And so uh, one of the things is when I travel, I see weird things at the airport. Anyone, you know, see weird things at airports? People with their shoes off on the plane, disgusting. If that's you, you need to repent. Um, <laughs> if you bring a dog on the airplane, I'm like, dude, what, what are you doing? You know, it's like I saw someone, it was a, online, I didn't see this in person, but there was a, a, someone had a peacock. It was like their, their pet, uh, you know, like their safety pet for like, you know, 
when they have triggered warnings. It was weird. It was weird. Okay, but there's all kinds of weird things I've seen at airports personally. And let me say, one of the weirdest things I've ever seen is called the ostrich pillow. Can you throw that picture up there? This is the ostrich pillow. If you see that in real life, you just go up and smack that person. Just like, what is wrong with you? Okay, like, first of all, you're gonna get robbed. Someone's gonna take your wallet, right? <laughs> like, what, what's the first thing you notice about this ostrich pillow? You can't see. You can't see. Well, the first time I saw this, the Lord used it to speak to me and said, my people do this all the time. They sacrifice vision for comfort. All the time. Christians all over the world do that exact thing. They sacrifice vision for comfort. And, and we get stuck in our comfortable, we get stuck in our familiar, we get stuck in security, and we're unwilling to pursue the vision that God has laid out for our lives because we just wanna be comfortable. Comfort is the enemy of growth and it's the enemy of discipleship. It is the enemy of discipleship. These disciples had a choice. Do we stay comfortable? Do we stay familiar? Do we stay with what we know? Or do we step into a life of vision for what's to come? Making disciples, fishing for people. See, security and comfort, the things we know, the things of this world, will always hinder us from truly following Jesus. Let's go back to our main scripture for the day. Verse 59. He said to another person, come, Follow me. And the man agreed, but he said, Lord, first let me return home and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. Your duty is to go and preach about the kingdom of God. The second hindrance we face in being a disciple is the hindrance of financial security. The hindrance of financial security. So in this section, Jesus is calling out to someone who says, he says, hey, come follow me. The man replies, and he refuses right away because he says, hey, first let me go bury my father. Now, right here, when Jesus says, hey, let the dead bury your own, their own dead. Like for me, I'm like, dang, that's cold, Jesus. <laughs> like his dad just passed. Like, and you're really gonna be like, let the dead bury their own dead. Like to me, I, I, for, when I first read that, I'm like, that doesn't seem very Jesus to me. <laughs> like, like, I'm like, this is mistranslated. You know what I mean? But no, 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 let me tell you something in the cultural context, the historical context of this day that I think is important for us to understand when we're reading through this passage. Something we should know to truly understand is that in this context for this day and age, at this time, if you were the son of someone who died, you would perform the burial only then to receive the inheritance or the money that was entrusted to you. And so this man had no problem with following Jesus tomorrow or the next day once he had his financial security taken care of and his ducks were in a row. Jesus, I'll follow you, but just let me get my money right. Let me just, let me just hustle and grind and do my thing. Like, I'm gonna commit to church. I'm gonna get a small group. I'm gonna serve someday. I'm gonna be generous someday. But right now, I gotta put it back in the company. Right now, I, gotta, I just gotta grind. I gotta build my life. I gotta build my empire. I gotta build my thing. And we do the same thing all the time. And we tell God, yeah, someday, tomorrow, next week, next year, whenever, after college, after my kids are gone, I'm going to follow you someday. Jesus didn't say, follow me someday. He said, come and follow me now. 
Come and follow me now. Jesus is beckoning to you. Come and follow me now. And it's heartbreaking because people day after day after day look back at Jesus and hear the call and we come to church and we come to these things and we're like, I someday am gonna follow him. But today is not that day because we gotta get our money right. And money is one of the biggest hindrances to people following Jesus. I think this is truly one of the most common that I see. Our country, our world is built upon the value of making and trusting in money. And so we often build our lives and we build our schedules and everything that we do around money, around how much we can make and how much we can build. If I were to go around the room today and say, hey, what, what's your dream? What do, you, what, do you want, what do you want in life? So many people, if I went around this room and said, man, to be wealthy, to be financially secure, to have the house that I want, the car that I want, to give my kids the lifestyle that I want, you'd you describe to me the American dream. And I'm just telling you, the American dream is not the kingdom dream. It's not the kingdom dream. There, there's nothing wrong, hear me, with, it's nothing sinful with being financially successful. There's nothing sinful about that as long as you're not a slave to it. But if you're a slave to it and you're more committed to your financial goals than the expansion of the kingdom of God, friends, that's a problem. And I would challenge you that I don't know that you're truly a follower of Jesus. That's a harsh statement, but it's reality. If you are more committed to, to making money than making disciples, I'm letting you know you may not be a disciple. You may not really be a follower of Jesus. It should not be the goal of a disciple. In the passage we're reading today, this man is clearly a servant to his inheritance and to those priorities first and above following Jesus. So true disciples know that, that Jesus, he takes care of his own. Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will be added to you. Everything else will be taken care of. But what do we do? We seek first the kingdom of God. And we trust in that promise. We trust in the principles of his word. We trust in practicing generosity. We, we trust in reaping and sowing. We trust in obedience to God's will. We, we trust, and fully devoted followers of Jesus will always trust and will always choose Jesus over money and over finances. And, and you know, there's been times in Brooke and I's lives there's been times when we knew that God was relocating our family and taking us somewhere. And so we've moved across the country with no jobs, with no insurance. I've had to empty out my, my 403B, which is like a 401k. Like I, I've had to empty out retirement in order to do what God called me to do. And listen, it didn't feel financially wise. At the moment, it didn't feel like it was even like something that was realistic. I was like, how the heck are we gonna make it through this season? What's going to happen, God? Why would you take me from here to here? Why would you tell me to move here with no idea of what's next? But I'm telling you it's the best thing that I've ever done is follow Jesus. The best thing I've ever done is obey his word. The best thing I've ever done is step out on the boat, step out of the boat into the water in faith to say, Jesus, I'm trusting that you're going to not let me drown. I'm trusting that you're going to carry us. I'm trusting you're going to lead us. And friends, I'm letting you know, that's why I'm here today. I am standing on this platform right now because I listened to the voice of God and I moved to Boise, Idaho on a word with no job, no insurance, and I drove DoorDash for the first two months of living here while I was trying to figure out what God wanted us to do in this city. This was a faith move. And I'm letting you know, in life, you have to make faith moves. 
even when it doesn't make sense financially, even when it doesn't make sense for the plan, for the American dream that you have in your head, for your life, I'm telling you, how do you make decisions about your life? Like when you sense God moving you in careers, when you sense God telling you to move your kids' schools or, or to buy a new house or to do what is the decision-making process? Is it just you? Or do you invite God into the process with you and say, God, how can I honor you in this? Are you leading me in this? Is this wise? What do you want me to do? How do you want me to serve, to give, whatever it is for you? Is he Lord of your life? Let's look at this third passage, verse 61. Another said, yes, Lord, I will follow you. But first, let me say goodbye to my family. But Jesus told him, hey, anyone who puts a hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Third hindrance to following Jesus and being a disciple is the hindrance of relationships. The hindrance of relationships. And so, okay, this, this man, what this man asks of Jesus here really doesn't seem like a big deal either, right? Like it's like, he just wants to say goodbye to people he loves. Again, I'm reading this going, this is tough. <laughs> like he just wants to say goodbye to, to the people he loves. All he wants to do is have one last get together with his family. And then he's like, yeah, then I'm gonna follow you, Jesus. He says, yeah, this is, this is no problem. Like, let me, just, let me just go say goodbye to my family. And then, and then after I do that, once I've taken care of this, then I will come and follow you. But then Jesus finds issue with this. And he says, hey, anyone who puts a hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. And the point that Jesus is trying to make here, friends, is that if you choose between following him and making people happy, making a relationship happy, making someone, you know, feel a certain type. If you're more concerned with what they think, what they feel, what they do, what they're going to, then following Jesus, that's an issue. When Jesus says something, when he says, come follow me, our response should be immediately they drop their nets. But for so many of us, our response is, let me make sure it's comfortable. Let me make sure my ducks are all financially. And let me make sure that everyone around me is taken care of, that I feel good, that they understand why I'm doing this, that it all, that it makes sense in their minds and I get you know, some sense of approval and then I'm gonna come and follow you. And Jesus is saying, it doesn't work that way. It just doesn't work that way. He says, come follow me. I think so often we don't realize that there are relationships in our lives that are hindering us from being true disciples of Jesus. We don't realize the people that are influencing our decisions that we make or who are hindering us by those decisions from following God's voice above all else. Because we're overly concerned with what everyone else thinks. We're overly concerned with what our family thinks, our friends think about our relationship with Jesus, about how we follow Jesus, about when we hear the voice of God, how we respond in obedience. Because if it doesn't seem to make sense, right? If it doesn't fit the American dream, if it doesn't fit your financial goals and plan, the plan that maybe your parents had for you or whoever had for you, right? It's like, if it doesn't fit in that, if it doesn't fit in this, like, well, you're gonna take the company someday and you're gonna, whatever, all of a sudden they're like, you are missing God. But friends, you know when the voice of the Holy Spirit speaks to you. His sheep hear his voice, and the strangers, they will not follow. And so we have to identify the voice of God and respond in obedience when he speaks without taking into regard just the, the, the people pleasing, the finances to come for all the things that we first often put above his voice. And so I'd say if there's any relationships in your life that you would choose over Jesus, that you are more concerned about pleasing than pleasing God. 
If there's any of those that's trying to get you in this place of like, man, I, I'm not sure. I'm going to let you know those relationships are unhealthy. Like you may have an unhealthy dependency on those people and you might need to check yourself. And so ultimately we must set aside those relationships to pursue, to follow Jesus. And if you truly want him to be Lord of your life, then you need to make some tough decisions and you'll have to keep making tough decisions in your life. And you'll have to continuously make the decision to follow him, even when life gets uncomfortable, even when it goes against the most financially secure plan, even when it costs you a relationship or two, even when it seems to not make sense. Disciples know that following Jesus is always, it's always better a life with Jesus than a life that's led by your own decision-making processes. And so disciples of Jesus make hard decisions before the hard thing comes. So that when that hard thing comes, we've already pre-decided that we're going to follow Jesus. We've already pre-decided we're gonna operate in faith. We already pre-decided we're gonna operate in generosity. We already pre-decided that there will be no compromise in my Christian walk. There will be no compromise in my faith in Christ so we cannot be easily swayed. And I've heard it said before, you only begin to give God your destiny and actually live it out when you've truly given him everything. And so this morning is what I wanna leave you with. God's plans are bigger. God's plans are better. There is more for you in your life, friend. I'm letting you know that the life that you have of following Jesus is better than any life that you've ever planned for yourself. In his heart, a man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. And when you allow the Holy Spirit every day, you say, Holy Spirit, today, would you guide me? Would you direct my steps? Would you help me to follow you today? If you do that every day, I'm telling you, you'll never miss God's plan for your life. So many people just don't even want to follow God's plan because they're like, I just don't know God's plan. Wake up every morning, say, Holy Spirit, today, would you be a lamp to my feet, a light to my path? Would you guide me in the way which honors you? Would you give me wisdom and would you give me understanding and help me today to follow you? Do that every day and you will not miss God's plan for your life. You won't miss it. It means, friends, to put it very simply and to tie back to it in an image earlier, it means dropping those nets. Drop them. We, we, sometimes we just want to, we just want to hold on. We're like, Jesus, can I just bring the net with me? I can still follow you. I'll just hang these fish. I'll just No, drop the nets. It means laying down your own plans, laying down your comfort for the sake of growth. It means leaving everything behind that would hinder you from following Jesus. And dropping nets will look different for all of us. For, for some of us, there's toxic relationships that we have entangled ourselves with. And, and friends, I'm letting you know it's time to cut yourself out of those relationships and get free of that toxicity and free of those patterns and free of this thing that keeps pulling you away from Christ. Get, get free of it, get away, run, go the other direction. Find the strongest believer that you know and say, please help me get out of this relationship. That might be dropping the net for you. For, for others, it's an addiction. It's, it's a high that offers this momentary relief. But as soon as you come back down, you're back worse than you were before. You're back in that place of depression. You're back in that place of searching. And so every time you pop a pill, take a line, every single time you smoke, every time you do whatever, you're going to find yourself getting that temporary relief only to crash back down exactly where you were before when you started. And the next time you pop a pill, the next time you do a line, the next time that you go and smoke, you're going to need a little bit more to get a little bit closer to that feeling of momentary relief. And maybe you use alcohol in the same way to just escape, to, to, to get a break, to get relief, to get whatever. And you'll find the same thing. Every time you go back, you're gonna need a little bit more. You need that little heavier pour. 
You're just gonna need that extra drink to get back into that place. And I'm telling you, pretty soon you're gonna find yourself in a place you never intended to be and that you really don't wanna be in your life. Last week we went through Ephesians 5 and we talked about living lives of intentionality and being present. And, and so as we read Ephesians 5, we hit verse 18 that said, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And let me remind you once more that if we're controlled by a substance, any substance, it's very difficult to be led by the Spirit of God. When we are under the influence of spirits and alcohol, it can be very difficult to be under the influence of the Spirit of God. Who do you want to be controlled by? 1 Peter 5.8. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. So what happens when we're not sober-minded, when we're not present, when we're not intentional? I'll tell you, it makes us vulnerable to the devil, vulnerable to Satan, vulnerable to, to our enemy of our souls, and it leads us to a place of destruction in our lives. And maybe for some others in the room, it, it, maybe it's not that. Maybe your addiction is simply scrolling on your phone. You doom scroll constantly, and it is pulling you away. And you're like, man, I don't have time to read my Bible. I don't have time for prayer. I don't have time to get in. Friends, open your screen time and slide over. How many hours have you spent on social media? How many hours do you spend on your phone? For so many of us, we don't even want to do it because we're scared. We know we're going to slide over there and be like six hours and 48 minutes on my phone today. That's crazy. So we, we lie to ourselves and we try to like make ourselves feel better by saying, yeah, I just, I'm so busy. I just don't have time. That's a lie. That's a lie. I've told myself. We, we've all been there. Man, I just don't have time. I just, I'm so busy. I don't really know if I can just lock in like that. And it's like, no, no, you, if you cared about it, if you really wanted to grow, if you really wanted to know Jesus, if you really wanted to get close to him, friends, you could get close to him. You got time. You got time for days. But you have to make that decision. And so for some others, maybe the net that you need to drop is the, is the net of fear. Fear of what people will think if you truly went all in on this Jesus thing. If you really gave your life to him, if you really followed him, maybe you're afraid of what it's gonna cost you. Maybe you're afraid of dropping the net. Maybe you're afraid of what others will think. Maybe you're afraid of the financial insecurity. Maybe you're afraid of just the social status that it might cost you, the friends that you might lose, the relationships you might lose when you start to take a stand for not only uh, your faith, but the things your faith stands for and represents. As you take a stand for a right for life, as you take a stand and say, you know what, I'm not gonna let the filth of this world become what indoctrinates our children and our culture, and you start to stand up for biblical values and morals and ethics and say, you know what, I am going to be a person that says, hey, my faith is the priority, my faith it's the foundation and every decision I make will be informed by my faith but you're afraid can I tell you two things number one that's not fear that's pride number two Jesus is worth it he is worth the name calling the persecution he's worth the trials the troubles the storms he's worth everything the challenges that you will face as a devoted follower of Jesus I'm letting you know he is worth it because he is our reward in the end it's like what do I get out of this you get Jesus and there's nothing better that you could get than your life your sins being forgiven your past your mistakes your shortcomings man the person that I was the broken drunk the broken angry 17 year old kid who wanted to take my own life 
I hated my life, but Jesus met me in a pit. Jesus met me in my darkest moment, the dark night of the soul, that moment where you're like, I don't know if life is worth living. I don't know what I want to do. I'm confused. I'm broken. I'm a sinful man. I'm not worth anything. And Jesus says, you were worth everything. I gave my son so that you would be saved. And I'm telling you, friends, when, when Jesus met me in my darkest, my most broken, my most intimate moments of just going, man, I just don't know. And Jesus found me. He gave me purpose. He gave me life. He turned my life around. And now I can look back and say, man, I'm not where I want to be even right now. But thank God I'm not where I was. He took me from there to here. And ahead of me is a life of following him, of adventure, of making disciples, of building his kingdom, of operating in faith and stepping out on the water and trusting God and knowing that it's so much more beautiful than the life that I had planned. It's better than anything I could have ever imagined. I got a family that I love, a wife that I hold dear. My kids love Jesus. I couldn't ask for anything more. So I'm telling you, whatever is stopping you from fully following Jesus and giving him your life, let those nets go. Let your plans go. Let your insecurities go. Let your fear go. Let your pride go. Let your ego go. He's worth following. Jesus gave his life for you. He thought you were worth dying for. So I'm letting you know he's worth living for. And I'm not gonna do, I'm gonna flip everything, Jordan, just so you know. Can you sing something? I don't care what. You can sing whatever you want, whatever's on your heart. But here's what I'm gonna do. I'm changing the end, sorry. <laughs> I'm not gonna do even a normal Hey, raise your hand if you want to follow Jesus. I'm going to ask you all across this room to close your eyes where you are, at your seat. I talked about this mourner's bench, and this bench was the place where they would come to consider and count the cost. And so I, today, I, just, I sense God wanting to do something in the room, and I'm going to challenge you to truly count the cost of what it means to follow Jesus. For those of you that have never made a decision to follow him, I'm letting you know God loved you enough to send his only son to take your punishment. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We have all sinned, every single person in this room. But Romans 6.23 says, for the wage of sin is death. That's what we deserve. It's the penalty that we have to pay for our sin. But God loved us so much, friends, that he sent his only son, Jesus. To, to, to pay the penalty, to say, Jesus came and said, hey, I will take on what they deserved and I will give them what I deserve, which is holiness and righteousness and eternal life and, and right standing with God. And so I'm letting you know, if you've never made a decision for Jesus, you can decide right now. And it's not about what you do. It's not about your works. It's literally about making a decision for Christ saying, hey, I want to follow Jesus my whole life. I want to give him everything. I want to drop the nets. I want to drop everything to follow Jesus with my whole life. And, and Bible says in Romans chapter 10, that if we just confess with our mouths and believe in our hearts that we will be saved. You can't earn it, you don't deserve it. And so I wanna challenge that person who's never made that decision. And I also wanna talk to those of you in the room that you realize after this message today, I am not a disciple 
I have held on to my nets when Jesus said, follow me. I have stayed in a place of comfort. I've stayed in a place of familiarity. I've stayed in a place of security. I've stayed in a place of people pleasing and I am done and I'm ready to step up and say, I'm gonna give my life not only to be a disciple, but to make disciples. I'm moving past milk. I'm moving past this infant stage and I am maturing in my faith today. And what I wanna do is I wanna open up this, this, this front of the stage here, all along the platform here to be a place that acts as a mourner's bench where you would come for a moment and and count the cost. Count the cost of what it means to follow Jesus. And I don't care how long this goes. Laramie, if this has to go all the way into, Laramie Carroll, if this has to go into worship for the next service, that's cool. Like, we'll just roll with it. But what I want you to do is be able to come forward. We're gonna have some prayer team members up here if you wanna pray with somebody, but you might just need to be with Jesus. And if you just need to be by yourself, get on your knees and sit before God and count the cost. I'm not saying you're making a decision right now. I'm saying you are counting the cost. Will I make a decision to follow Jesus? Will I make a decision to be a disciple and make disciples? That is up to you. I I am giving you an opportunity now to pray, to hear God, and you choose. And when you leave this place, I would say, I challenge you. If you make that decision, say something to somebody. Walk to the front, to the Welcome Center, fill out a card, say, I made a decision for Christ today and make it on paper, make it known, make it clear. Let us come alongside you and walk with you. But you get to choose. And so we're gonna begin to sing, we're gonna begin to play some worship, and I'm gonna challenge you as I pray, as soon as I say amen, come up out of your seat, find a spot, if that's you, and just be with the Lord. Sit at this mourner's bench, if you will, and count the cost. Father, I ask in the name of Jesus, move this morning, speak this morning, Let us count the cost. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come. Fill this place, God. Father, fill this place with your presence. Fill this place with your presence. Fill this place, God. Lord, come and do whatever you want. Speak to hearts and minds, broken hearts, God, that need healing, God. Relationships that need healing, God. Speak, God, to individuals. Holy Spirit, come in Jesus' name. Thanks again for listening to the Oasis City Church podcast. We would love the opportunity to connect with you, pray for you, or give you next steps on your journey of following Jesus. Send us an email to info at oasiscity.church to get connected today.